0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, today I have with me Rani Pranik, Um and um, very interesting, I've been lo- reading all about it, and Looking at our websites and all the things that you do and some fascinating things to, to unpack and talk about today. But first of all, hi, Rani, how are you?
1: I am awesome, Russell. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. And where in the world are you today?
1: Great question. Today I'm at my headquarters, which is Houston, Texas.
0: Fantastic. So you better tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, I would love to. So the first 19 years of my life i grew up here in houston texas the next 19 years i lived in india pune india where i ran and founded my own dance company for leadership and uh, empowerment empowerment for girls and just overall people Uh, later i moved back here to houston in 2007 where i joined my father's company which is w-o-m where i work now Had not planned on uh, really being where I am today. All I went in was just with an approach to help see what I could do best. And uh, one thing led to the next. In 2014, I graduated with my MBA in finance from Rice University. And 2016, I became global CFO. Now I'm the incoming CEO. uh, So that's one part of my life. (laughs) The uh, second part of my life is that I'm also the chair for our Foundation, which is by the name of my parents, Braykun Sudhir Karanik Foundation. And uh, we own and operate a school in Pune, India, for under-resourced children. It's a residential school, state board recognized. About 250 kids live on campus with us. And uh, my mother is completely dedicated to this. So she lives on campus as well. Uh, The best part of that foundation is that now we are three generations. So it's my mom who started it. I, what I consider myself as a bridge, I'm very active into that. And we also do multiple programs uh, across the globe, not just uh, uh, confined to India. And now my older daughter, Magdi, she is the managing director for all the US-based foundation projects. So it's fabulous. And it doesn't end there. I have a third hat that recently I have. I'm really excited to say that I'm an author as well. So my book is being published in November, November 3rd. And the name of it is called Seven Letters to My Daughters. And it's really a gift. It's a gift of all the lessons I've learned throughout my short period of living on this planet. Uh, Lessons of love, of leadership, and of legacy. So hopefully they don't have to go through all those heartaches and struggles and pains and they may be able to get some lessons you know uh just as they go
0: so there's a lot to go out there so why don't you tell us a little bit about the work in the oil industry because i'm guessing that's a heavily male dominated industry so um tell me what it's like um being um one among one amongst many i suppose you need to be pretty resilient for that do you
1: uh good question and uh so true. It is a male-dominated industry for sure, uh, but I'd also say that there have been a number of women who have gone ahead of me and really paved the way for women to really stand stronger um, in our field. With that, I'd like to also say one more thing, is that I'd like to go beyond just the gender of you know, male or women. Uh, it's about merit. At the end of the day, if we show up as human beings, uh, dedicated, committed, Understanding our skills, our talent, and really being open-minded, being able to collaborate with a variety of people, then it really goes beyond, you know, what your gender is. And people start to look at you with that sort of merit and meritocracy that will take you forward. Uh, that's really what has helped, helped me to stand my ground and really, if you will, blaze my trail, right, in, in my own way. I think it goes beyond gender.
0: Yes, but I mean, you can't ignore the fact of um, just simply counting how many uh, different genders or um, orientations are in in the world. And I suppose it is actually quite rare to meet someone like you at a senior level. And clearly they're on merit. And that's the point, isn't it? I mean, lots of women in senior organisations say usually they're miles more talented than their male colleagues because they've had to fight twice as hard to get to where they're going. And I think there's something in that sometimes, isn't there?
1: Which is true. And I would give all of those voices credit for sure. Have we had to fight a little stronger to be more resilient, show up a little bit more, not given as much, let's say, benefit of the doubt um, as our, you know, other counterparts? It has happened for sure. But uh, is it easing up a little bit? I do see a change in the industry as well. There's so much of a push for Respecting the merit and respecting all of the hard work that we also, as women, put together uh, in this industry. So, but yes, to your point, those voices are equally equally due credit. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and of course, there are lots of people who are senior um, practitioners and organisations, but they don't have a charitable or foundation arm. So, what was the thinking behind that? Or the philanthropy side of things.
1: I love the question. I see this as a earn and return philosophy that my family definitely has, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, WOM was started by my father, entrepreneur, business guy, always focused on you know business growth. Whereas my mother, we call her Mother Teresa. My, my mom is more like Mother Teresa, right? So she's like, well, how can we give back to society? We, we make all of this stuff. Um, for me though, I believe that I have been blessed with the understanding of both sides of my parents and the way I see the company is honestly, we're not immortal, right? I'm very clear about that. So with that in mind, the way I'm building and growing the footprint of WOM is really to give it away. Mm. The, when I say I'm growing the business, it's so that we can give back, um, that's really the, the philosophy behind it. So we have a goal in the next five years to be a $1 billion company uh, between five to seven years. But it goes beyond that. We're, we say this in tandem with the monetary goal is the lives goal. We want to positively impact 1 billion lives around the world as well. So that's, that's just more, it goes more than just a company philosophy. I'd say it's the culture and the fabric of, of who we are as a company and as a team.
0: Yes. And I mean, what you're doing there is interesting, isn't it? Because you're sort of wrapping meaning into the, the standard working day, aren't you? So people can actually see that, yes, they're there to achieve a financial goal, but they've got this sort of goal of purpose as well that sort of links together. So when things get tough, you sort of know why you, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Is that part of the thinking?
1: Exactly. When things get tough. So at the end of the day, I always say our customers as a company, as a business, our customers are not just the you know, clients who pay us, right? Our customers at the end of the day are every life that we can touch. Mm. So, if we can touch those lives within our company uh, through employee programs, through other benefits, uh, through other career ladder, you know, sort of programs that we have, it's great. But if the philosophy of this business is to impact positively, impact, how do we make the next life better? Then guess who the other, who the end customer is? It's you and me. Yeah, it's you and me. So today, even though our industry has taken a nosedive, right, since 2015 up until honestly now, right now in 2022 is when we start, have started to see an uptick. But till then, what keeps us going is whatever we do whether it's innovating, whether it's efficiency in processes, if we can bring the overall costs down and be able to hand that over to our customers so that even their expenses come down, then eventually you and I at the gas pump turning on the lights at at my house or in the company will somehow in some shape or form gain that benefit. And the other part is we're very, very clear about our impact on the environment. So whenever we do develop technologies, again, how do you make that next life better, Russell? It's about when we do develop the technologies, how can we include the environment? Yes, we do drill for oil and gas, understood. But if we can minimize the disposal, if we can minimize the material used, if we can minimize overall the harm to the environment while in operation, and also consider the people who are out there on the field making their lives extremely safe, better, easier so that they can handle this equipment and produce at a much economical rate, who doesn't want that? Mm. So the whole philosophy is about people. Yeah.
0: So so are you looking at, uh, so of course, the, uh, the, sort of the nature of businesses to innovate and as resiliences and purpose and such like. So are you looking at staying in oil and gas without mean, diverging any secrets? I just wonder how, how many businesses in your sector are actually getting into alternative um, sources of energy, because that's really what it's all about now, isn't it? It must be very difficult with a plant and intensive uh, capital based business like your own. But is that part of a natural sort of um, cycle of growth and innovation expansion?
1: Many people in the energy industry for the oil and gas sector of the energy industry are turning towards the more renewables, alternative energies. As WOM, I consider ourselves a vertically integrated manufacturing company, which means that we have everything from forging, casting, testing assembly, you name it. I always say that we have everything except for a steel mill and a shipping company. Mm. So with that in mind, our core competency is in vending and molding steel with very specialized coating processes. So with that in mind, yes, we do provide equipment for the oil and gas industry, but because we are primarily an engineering and manufacturing company, we can cater to any heavy industry that requires the sort of corrosion, erosion impacted heavy metals that are required out in the field. So that could be anywhere between railways, it could be defense, it could be ship rudders, That's the type of expansion that we are looking forward to, in addition to renewables, but that would not be our core competency.
0: How fascinating. Um, Brilliant. Um, Sorry, I'm just distracted by finding that whole piece of uh, work interesting, but I know we should be talking (laughs) about the book and uh, and other things as well. So the the foundation is absolutely fascinating, but uh, I mean, the book's interesting again, isn't it? It's again, it's pulling together threads and strands in a different direction. What, What was the motivation for writing it?
1: Well, first of all, I love writing. I think I'm an artist first. And then, uh, you know, business happens to be part of my DNA as well. Mm. Uh, This was really a gift. Um, You know, like every person has a story. So have I have a very, a variety of challenges. And the motivation was really, honestly, my girls just said to me, Mom, you should write uh, your story. So Mm. that this message that you preach to everybody uh, can become your legacy and it can go far beyond even your lifetime i said all right you got it we'll write so the seven letters portion is something that i've been very um curious about i dug a little bit more deeper into the science of ourselves and it's i won't get too much deep into it but just conceptually our cells regenerate every seven years which means that we as human beings are actually new people every seven years. Mm. And when I look back at my own life, right? So I'm going to date myself. I'm 50 years old now. But if I go back, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but if I go back and see my life, it has literally played distinct roles every seven, seven years. years. Mm. Every seven years. So what I've done is I've written a handwritten letter every, for every seven years. And every letter contains what I would call critical lessons of love, of how to lead. What is it to be a leader? How do you lead? And what does legacy even mean? And how do you build that? How do you get there? Every letter contains those three philosophies, which I really truly believe has made me successful, satisfied, and peaceful in this day and age.
0: Can you give us an example of uh, one of those, for example?
1: Oh, uh, let's think about this. Um, so for the first seven years, I say that I was just a girl. So what is it to be a girl, especially from the Indian context? Um, mm. I was raised in Houston, but I was born in India and I was the firstborn. So you can only imagine, mm. you know, traditional parents. They know exactly what they do. It's there's no fault at all. It's just culturally, you come with certain knowings and certain understandings and expectations. And I was the firstborn girl child. Not very well taken right and then those challenges how do you find your individuality who how do you find who you really are through those challenges um so that's I would say I don't want to give the whole thing away right but uh love definitely comes in different shapes and forms and I had to figure out what self-love meant from a very very early age so Mm -hmm. that's sort of like the first stage I would say and the second stage goes on to being a sister. I, was, I became a sister when I was seven years old. So you oh, see how the patterns yeah. sort of go on, right? And one of the leadership lessons that I have learned being a sister um, is that you're kind of stuck in the middle, right? So you've got this responsibility or you feel responsible, especially being an older sibling that, you know, you've got to take care, protect, teach, do all of this stuff. But guess what? We have no authority. The parents can come in and sweep them up and do whatever they need to do and teach them what they have to do. And you're kind of stuck in the middle, but guess what? So much of leadership is that way. We take on responsibility, but we may not always have the authority. So how do you maneuver your, uh, your best through that? And also with that, I've learned continuously Learned no matter what the level of responsibility, it's equally important to gift and give acknowledge the authority that's part of my leadership skills that I had to learn very early on. <laughs> yes,
0: that's right. I mean, I, we call that accountability, but it's absolutely the same sort of idea, isn't it? It's that devolving right. things to the point where it's most used. I often find, um, I know when I became a CEO, I often felt felt more powerless than I had before, because actually the levers of power are different as a CEO, because it's about touching everywhere very lightly and I, I think a lot of CEOs make ex- the mistake of saying you take that functional leadership idea which is about hitting that small number of things quite hard uh, influencing rather than hitting um a small number of things quite hard rather than that CEO approach and I, I think a lot of i think a lot of people find that difficult to um to change don't they but your sisterly uh value is probably going to hold you in good stead i guess
1: <laughs> i think so and also if I could share this with you over my past, you know, being a founder, CEO of a dance company in, in India, now being the incoming CEO of a you know, multinational oil and gas company here. Um, what I realized is there are literally four stages to leadership. If we really want to be successful leaders, the first one is listening, right? So when we listen, it's basically you're gathering information, you're absorbing information and information is knowledge. Everyone knows that. But only when we listen and we gather that knowledge, can we reflect out? I mean, how am I supposed to, as a leader, give out something that I have not fulfilled or I've not filled myself with? So listening is so, so incredibly important for the first stage itself. And then what I do say is that gives you the power to not just take it in, receive it, but then to reflect back. Which brings me to my second stage of leadership, which I call myself a bridge, which is to stabilize. Yeah. We all come from variety of backgrounds, variety of day-to-day challenges. But when we work in a company, we all have one goal, one mission. We're trying to go th- towards one direction, right? So bringing in that sort of stability, being that bridge of where we are today, where an individual person may be today, and then how do you bridge that? How do you stabilize all those sort of extremes, right? It could be fear, it could be intimidation, it could be overconfidence, underconfidence, whatever those things are. Or just confusion which is such a variety of um, places where we as human beings come from. Stabilize that and then sc- slowly, steadily gear your team towards who they can become, what they have the potential to be. So that's the stability part of it. Just bring instability to the entire organization into your teams and even a, at an individual level. Then the third stage is to inspire. We as leaders have the ability to be visionaries, inspire go beyond what they see, go beyond what they think may be a limitation. As leaders we help we have the we have the ability to facilitate their confidence. Every person has exactly what is needed to succeed. And to find that confidence for themselves. And that's the inspirational part, which leads me to the fourth and final piece, which I love today. I absolutely love doing this part, which is lead to let go. Mm -hmm. Let go, Russell. That is the best part of leadership, where all these stages you've gone through, you work together, and now it's time to fly. So, these people that you've worked with, these companies that you've worked with, they have the inspiration they've got the confidence they've been bridges they know how to lead now going forward because they themselves have gone through the process and then it's time to let go that's how you build a legacy so mm. that's what i've learned over the course yeah
0: yeah it's very good i like that and and you've mentioned legacy <laughs> a number of times so obviously that's important yeah. to you can you unpack that a little bit more for me
1: sure so this concept really hit me quite hard when i lost my brother Um, in 2018. And he was eight eight years, um, thank you. He was eight years younger to me. Uh, He was also involved in the business. And just a very sudden passing uh, made me realize even deeper that we are not immortal. And I probably have another 20, maybe if I'm lucky, 30 years of, you know, productive life in front of me, which is really not a lot. But that's all I have. So if I can make decisions today consciously with awareness, being mindful that I can have I have the potential to make the next life better, mm. then my efforts will pass on. It can be a torch that passes on from one life to the next. And that the efforts and the intention of making a life better just goes on. That's legacy. Yeah. So for me, legacy is because I know that. If we are to do any good on this planet, then one lifetime is probably not enough. And I'm very conscious that the next four generations behind me that are coming, just as I mentioned, there are so many generations of women, men who have come before me, who have paved the way for us, this generation, to have a great life. Yes, there are challenges around the world, completely understood. But then we have the potential to make it even better and even better. So that legacy part is really big for me.
0: Yeah, I can see, and I actually, as part of your per- that's part links into that purpose thing we we're talking about for earlier, that creation of meaning. And uh, I'm guessing when times get tough again, yeah. you've got that sort of, you've got that sense of purpose in the organisation. You've got the sense of legacy in the writing, and 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 a sense of both in the foundation, I suppose.
1: You're so right, and I talk about this all the time. You know, people see, you know, large companies with resources and wealth, and you know, some people may drive these fancy cars and some people won't but here's the deal right we're all stewards at the end of it yeah I didn't come with anything I'm not going to leave with anything so if I'm a steward and that's exactly how I believe I am whether it's the tough times or whether it's greatly exponential growth times I consider myself a steward
0: so I'm wondering whether your background or you're running effectively a very large family business has a as a part of that shaping of your mindset?
1: I would probably say that uh, I've been a a spiritually inclined person from the very beginning of Mm. my understanding. I've always looked for that larger purpose and larger meaning of life. And, uh, you know, one thing leads to the next. And I wouldn't be able to say that it's just because I'm part of a big family business Though I would say being very responsible has made me to look for that meaning of what does responsibility mean, and when we have these situations where we have to dig in our heels and you know just say, uh, you know, "I've got a strong will, I'm determined, you got to keep going on," but there are also points where we have to surrender and say, "You know what? I'm not in control here." And when those situations happen, even in the business, not everything happens our way. Mm. And we do have to surrender. That's when, you know, it completely clicks and says, guess what? You're just a steward. You're just a bridge to connect one generation to the next. You give your best and leave everything else up to how it's supposed to turn out. Mm. I love it. And I always say that if you give that if you. Sorry, carry on. Go ahead. Sorry. You're, going to, you're <laughs> just to
0: a terrible lag. So you're just saying if you give and then you vanished. Say again, if you give.
1: So if you give your best, then everything else will come together the way it does. Right. And what I was also about to say is that when you give with a good heart, in some shape or form, it does come back. I always say that uh, love is one way and people typically, you know, especially CEO, CFO levels don't talk about love at all. It's like taboo, right? I'm very open about it. I actually lead through love. I really do. And unapologetically, you know, people call me an empathetic leader and that's really what it is. Mm. I try to understand what's going on. Give the benefit of doubt. Don't dismiss somebody's potential. But at the same time, don't let someone run over you. I get that. But if we can lead with love, love is energy. It just transforms from one to the Mm. next to the next. I always say love is one way. So as long as we do that, in some shape or form, it comes back, and I'm testimony to that.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So how do we find out more about your work, this book you're writing? Tell us more about it.
1: Uh, well, of course, my company's website is wamusa.com. I have my own, which is Ranipuronic.com, which is R-A-N-I-P-U-R-A-N-I-K.com. And uh, you'll find out more about my book. Of course, I'm on the social media platforms as well, so I'm sure you can find me. Uh,
0: Great. Well, I'm I'm going to to ask you to commit to one thing today. You've written a book about seven letters, seven phases, the seven letters to your daughter. But you must write a leadership book. You really must. I think uh, the the things you talked about today don't get talked about often enough, I, I don't think. So please get started. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I will take you on that one. Thank you. <laughs> Good.
0: It's been a joy to talk to you today. I really enjoyed it. And behind the scenes, we've had lots of all sorts of IT issues, but uh, we've coped nonetheless. So thank you so much, Ronnie. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you, you so for much. spending time with us today.
1: I enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much, Russell. You have a great rest of your year. And you take care.
0: Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links.